Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Hello. No, I'm talking to the listeners. Oh. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Ask Andrew. And you may have guessed, we have a special guest. And guest and guest rhyme, did you notice that? And her name is Karen Kern, and she's my wife. The really wonderful thing about having her with me is that she's sort of the yin to my yang and balances out everything I say. So let's get right to the question for this episode 10 of Ask Andrew. And here it is. Why did Dorothy Sayers' adaptation of the Trivium become so popular? That's a great question because it has two parts to it, or it has an assumption behind it that we should address. It says, Dorothy Sayers' adaptation of the Trivium. That's interesting. It's not the Trivium, but her adaptation of the Trivium. So, Karen, what is her adaptation of the Trivium? How do you understand that? I understand that as her um, applying the Trivium to, as she put it, the stages of a child's um, growing years, education. Um, so they... I'm she, sorry, I, I have to interrupt. Do, do you not, does, does everybody not just feel like they're listening to the cutest voice <laughs> in the whole world? Sorry. Stop. Um, she's applying those ideas in a fresh way to to coincide with the development of a child. And she's doing it at a time when the educational establishment was was gone amok already. And so people... Wait, wait, wait. Questions. She did this in the 40s. I thought the golden age was oh, the 50s. Well, no, you always say that. That it started way before that to go downhill. Hmm. I must be right. Yeah, you well, must be right. Okay. Well, so go I on don't then. remember the question anymore. How, how did? How did? <laughs> why did Dorothy Sears' adaptation of the Trivium become so popular? Because it answered 
questions that people were were desperate for answers for. And you know, in right in front of me, um, I have oh, sorry. these questions. That wasn't that wasn't actually the question I asked you. The question I asked you was, and we'll get to that one. But the question I asked you was, what is her adaptation of the Trivium? And then you talked about the stages of a child's life. Right. So, so she she focuses on the grammar stage and the logic stage and the rhetoric stage and how they coincide with the way a child thinks and expresses himself and takes in information and gives back information, um, in a, depending on where they are in their development. So it's not the it's not technically speaking the traditional sort of classical trivium she's talking about. She's She's taking the grammar and lo- the arts of grammar, logic, and rhetoric and saying, oh, look, those correspond to the way a child grows. Let's teach them accordingly. I think that's what she was doing in this essay and that people have adopted that and yeah. made that uh, the, the main principle, identifying principle in a lot of classical schools. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me, t- you were about to say some questions to answers. Oh, List so- those. And, and by the way, we only have about 12 or 13 minutes and I want to I want to say about fourteen points on this, so make sure you only take out about nine of those minutes. Well, she asks she asks questions like this: Have you ever, in listening to a debate among adult and presumably responsible people, been fretted by the extraordinary inability of the average speaker to speak to the question, to meet and refute the arguments of speakers on the other side? Yeah, but that was before Facebook. Right. Now we've solved that problem. Well, listen to this one. Have you ever followed a discussion in the newspapers or elsewhere and noticed how frequently writers fail to define the terms they use? Huh. Have, do you ever find that young people, when they have left school, not only forget most of what they have learned, but forget also or betray that they have really ever known how to tackle a new subject for themselves? So all of those questions that were being asked in the 40s are being asked now, and the questions are even more desperate. Two things that stood out in what you just read. One is the how to tackle a new subject. How many people know how to do that? You know, even at work, somebody's given a new challenge and they 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 don't know what to do. And so in, in Dorothy Sayers' approach to the... And the other thing is just communication, defining terms and so on. So in Dorothy Sayers' approach to the trivium, she she's giving us ways to tackle new subjects. And... and you know, I, I listed three words as I was thinking about how I'd answer this question. Why is her adaptation so popular? I think the three words that came to my mind are insightful, simple, and powerful. She's got real insight in that and what Douglas Wilson calls the Sayers insight, right? She's she's really on to something when she talks about the stages of a child's development. Everybody, I think most people would agree that little children are a lot more comfortable with repetition. I don't think they memorize faster, but they're a lot more comfortable with repetition than we are, right? The, the grandchildren, they want us to read the same book over and over again. What's that? You always tell that story about when you were a little kid and your dad would try to skip pages. Oh, the cat in the hat. Yeah. What a dirty trick by a, by a father. <laughs> <laughs> and, then it, and then it's simple, right? What, what you can do with the, the, the trivium is, is you can say... Oh, look, three stages of a child's development. I can handle that. And, and as, as being so simple, it gives us access. It gives us access to, to, to some really profound insights about learning and about children's growth. And I think that, that simplicity is, 
is enormously appealing and accurate. And that's where the powerful comes in, how to tackle a new subject, things like that. Um, you look at, you look at what, you look at what um, Douglas Wilson, Laura Burquist, Susan Wise Bauer, and others have done uh, developing materials based on this pattern. It's powerful. And, and look at the outcomes. Look at the results. Children stepping through these stages are graduating from high school with better scores, if you want to reduce it to that. They're getting into the best colleges. It's a p- powerful approach. But, but in my experience... What I like to see isn't so much just the you know academic credentials, but the personal development. It corresponds to the child's soul, so it doesn't interfere with it. As Sayers put it, you get to cut with the grain. So those are some thoughts that I had, but um, I think you had another question from Dorothy Sayers or something that you were going to pursue there. It looks like you're trying to get something said. No? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. See, I never could read her. Okay. <laughs> So it's interesting in the last in the last episode episode 9 I and 10 or 8 and 9 rather I discussed what a what wisdom is and what a virtue is and how they're cultivated and one of the things that I would suggest is that the Dorothy Sayers structure with its simplicity and power is a very very useful tool to help us cultivate wisdom and virtue or a very useful structure to help us cultivate wisdom and virtue in in uh, in kids, one of the things though that that I would emphasize is that I would not make the Dorothy Sayers trivium equal classical education. In other words, there's more to classical education than the the, the stages of learning of the trivium. But what a great doorway into the church, if you like. What a great doorway into the castle or temple or palace or whatever. Um, there's, there's a lot more in cultivating wisdom and virtue than just those three stages. But it'd be hard to, it would be hard to um, just dismiss them. I think that su- they are successful. the place, encountering that, those stages and the way she expresses it, is a light bulb moment for people who are encountering it for the first time or being involved in a school. We get people coming into an open house or coming in to the school for an interview and they are hearing about classical education for the very first time. And when they hear about the three stages and how it relates to the development of a child, they know it to be true in their own experience as they've watched their own children. And so it's just a light bulb eureka moment for these people. And then that's like getting their foot in the door. They say, yes, that's right. right." And then from there you can over time. And it's such a long, long journey of understanding how we, we nurture wisdom and virtue through stories and, and all of the, depth of classical education and then they can start to plumb those depths but learning about the trivium is the first the first thing they learn and the first thing they grasp and that they love that idea mm-hmm. that's what that's what it was for me absolutely in terms of my formal introduction to this renewal it was the sayers essay in, in douglas wilson's book back in 1992 or three um and, and you're emphasizing something that I really like too, which is way back in, in episode one of, of this renewed Ask Andrew, I talked about how we learn from the vivid and the clear to the obscure and the difficult, and how even as I'm going through these episodes, 
I'm trying to consider in almost a, a, a concentric circular way, maybe a vault, a, a, a hawk attacking a mouse or something, going round and round and round. What is classical education? And you just sort of paralleled that. I started out with a very, very general statement. I hoped it was more or less vivid and clear, but I was making the point even in that episode that we go from the vivid and the clear from the caricature to the detailed understanding. And that, and, and, a, and I mean this positively, Dorothy Sayers gives us a workable caricature, something very vivid, something very clear, something very easy to hold on to, from which we can launch ourselves into the deeper waters. And I think that's a, a big, big part of why why it's so successful. Again, the question was why why did it become so popular? I think another reason is it had some really great champions. And Douglas Wilson's work, uh, National Review published it every year for a very long time. Um, Laura Berquist did some good work on it. Susan Wise Bauer's book, um, The Well-Trained Mind. The effectiveness of the ACCS schools. These were gigantic influences. But I, I want <clears throat> to... Excuse me, I want to add this, and then we're going to switch to a smaller question. Actually, it's a bigger, smaller question, but I'll give it a short answer. And that is that um, it, in American society, and, and I think particularly in Christian America, there was a tremendous readiness. Um, generally speaking, in 1993 and four, evangelical Christian schools weren't doing terribly well academically. And there was almost a, an understanding of the academic life and the spiritual life as two different things. And when the, when, when the um, Sayers' conception of the trivium was combined with thought of Laura Burke, Susan Weisbauer, Douglas Wilson, and others, um, but I think they're the three leaders in that era, um, all of a sudden there was a way to bring harmony to the academic and spiritual that schools could could really relate to. A lot of schools wanted something like that. So I think the readiness for a more um, intellectually sound approach to education was was great at the time. And we've seen the fruit of that. I was looking today at some comparisons between um, a couple schools. One was a what they called a contemporary evangelical or contemporary Christian school and the other was classical and the classical had standardized tests in the 1800s and the con- contemporary was in the 1500s. And I don't know, you know, that's one example and I don't know why that was exactly, but that's a common comparison. So, you know what, we, we have used up our time. So I'm going to, I'm going to address this second question very briefly and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap this session up, and then and then uh, next week we'll we'll have another one. And this question is one that I get a lot, so I want to give it more than just now. I want to give it more than just now. That's my wife, man. Never trust your wife with technology. Um, the question is how how would you begin to respond to those who question the classical approach because they believe it to be Eurocentric? and detrimental to or not applicable to children of color. They may be even consider it a disservice to a child of color to be taught classically. I have a very, very simple answer to that question, but, but we'll develop it further later. For me, I stake everything in my belief about classical education on the idea that it is for human beings 
as human beings, not for Westerners, not for Africans, not for Chinese, not for Russians, not for Latin Americans, but for human beings as human beings, and that it's universality and its attempt to cultivate the distinctively human qualities of a person make it apply to everybody. Now, I'll develop that a little bit further in in a later episode, uh, but I want to start with that. And with that, Karen, thanks for joining me. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. Do we have time? I was thinking well, while we you don't, were talking. But you can say okay, it. so so because the I ideas the ideas of the of the trivium allow for a homeschool mother to to be able to feel equipped to educate their children without a box curriculum. Because if they have a preschooler and they're looking at where do I start? Well, you start with your child, not with a box that comes in the mail. Mm. You start, you're able to start with what you already have. You know that you want to memorize. So you memorize all the things that are in front of you. You, you can go with what your child loves. You don't have to go with what this curriculum says to do in kindergarten. Your kindergartner can study reptiles and get lots of books from the library on that and, and learn about these things very naturally without having to stress over now what do we do? What what am I going to do next week? And and it, it just allows a lot of freedom and confidence. Great. Confidence is a good thing for a teacher and a parent. Thank you. Welcome. And to the listeners, may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. And we'll see you next week. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.